0: them. real noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary.
1: My name is Dustin Anderson, and I have been an avid motorcycle enthusiast for as long as I can remember. One day, my friend Dustin Evernden and I were out riding when we decided to stop and take a break. We had been riding for hours and our bodies were sore and tired. As we sat there enjoying the stunning view of the valley below us, something caught our eye. It was a large animal, standing about six to seven feet tall, with broad shoulders and walking on two legs. At first we thought it was just a bear or or some other large animal. But as we watched it, we realized that it was something else entirely. The creature got up from where it was sitting and began to walk around on two feet. We could see it clearly now, and it was like nothing we had ever seen before. It had long, shaggy hair and massive hands that almost dragged on the ground. As we watched, the creature sat down on a nearby stump, seemingly unaware of our presence. We were both frozen in shock and fear, not knowing what to do. We knew that we should have just gotten on our bikes and left. But something about the creature's presence had us rooted to the spot. We watched it for what felt like hours, and then finally we decided that we had to go. We didn't want to risk getting too close to the creature, as we didn't know how it would react. We got on our bikes and sped away, our hearts racing with fear and adrenaline. As we rode away, I couldn't shake the feeling that we had just witnessed something truly extraordinary. I knew that what we had seen was real, but I also knew that no one would believe us if we told them. We tried to put the incident behind us and go about our lives as usual, but the memory of the creature haunted us both. We couldn't stop thinking about it, wondering what it was and where it came from. Months went by and we didn't see or hear anything about the creature again. But then one day we received a strange message on our phones. It was a video of the creature we had seen, captured from a different angle. We couldn't believe it. Someone else had seen the creature too, and they had proof. We tried to investigate further, but the trail went cold. It was as if the creature had disappeared without a trace. To this day, I still think about that day on the mountain, and the creature we saw. It's a memory that will stay with me forever, and one that I will never forget. What convinced me was I saw it happened, and my cousin saw it with me. We were cruising through some rural areas in my cousin's car, and I want to say it was about 1 or 2 a.m. We weren't smoking or drinking, but just having a nice cruise. We went on this road that went through some heavy woods, but we did it before, so we had no fear. It was dark, of course, no moon with just a slight sprinkle of rain. We were coming to this part in the woods where there was a street light, but it... It was an old light, and was starting to dim out. There used to be an old building there, but was torn down, but the light stayed up for a few years. Mind you, this was very rural, and no one lived nearby for maybe twenty miles, so it was extremely rare for you to pass another car, let alone another person at this time. It didn't help that the locals said stay out of the woods at night. I was just looking out my window at the woods. And when we were coming up to the light, next thing I know, the car does a movie turn like stomp on the brakes to a 180 and freaking burned rubber the other way. I get weirded out and look back to the car and I see the road illuminated by the streetlight and I see this massive black figure beside the road. It takes one step and it's in the middle of the road. Another step and it's already on the other side. Immediately I look forward, scared out of my mind, and look at my cousin and I see the intense fear on his face. We don't say a word to each other, and he drops me off. I stay up till sunrise and finally go to sleep. Funny now that I think about it. We never talked about once, not after it happened, but yeah, we saw Bigfoot, and the locals do tell very similar stories. My father is a lorry driver in Europe, and I used to keep him company during summertime when I was still at school age. There was a one night that I remember correctly. It was like 1-2 a.m. in Latvia when I saw this guy in a black hat standing next to the road and trying to hitchhike. We missed him, and I asked my father why didn't we stop to help him. It was raining heavily. He said that it is not safe, and we just went past him. But in like thirty minutes there was the same guy standing on the side of the road. I was like twelve back then. I told my father and he just stated that this was a coincidence and we went past him again. But in like again forty-fifty minutes there was the same guy this time waving at us. I was sure it was him again but my father said nothing and told me to go to sleep. That is one of strange things I saw during my escapades with my father. He doesn't want to talk about that one ever. I was spiked out in the Russian wilderness and woken up at about 2 a.m. by a sound that was just like a baby, whimpering and crying. As the father of three, I think there's something etched in my survival instinct that's triggered by the sound of a baby crying in the night. My eyes burst open the size of saucers straining to see beyond the darkness at the horror. I knew had to be there staring at me. I laid there frozen for what seemed like minutes trying to wrap my brain around how a baby could be crying in the middle of wilderness. Mere feet from my bivvy nonetheless. I picked up my headlamp and turned it on expecting this to be the last memory I'd ever have. Before the child of Satan devoured me, I scanned the slope behind my camp looking for anything that could be holding a crying baby. A deranged killer, a zombie mother, a rabid mountain lion. I remember the sound changing from a crying to almost an alien language that include little beeps and clicks. It was about two or three minutes of this not-stop madness before something below the fan of my light caught my eye. I turned my headlamp toward the ground and there, about three yards away, was what looked like an all-brown guinea pig. Now I'm really baffled. How the hell did a guinea pig get loose out here? Well, it eventually ran down a burrow below a tree stump, and I never saw it again. I was still camped out for another two or three days before heading home, then spent the next week googling. Brown guinea pig in the wilderness. Finally the mystery was solved. It was a mountain beaver. It's easy to find a picture of one, but really hard to find the sound one makes when you're googling for guinea pigs in the wilderness. I was just out for a Sunday stroll in the near woods when I suddenly stood in front of something that looked like a single huge boar with terrifying tusk. Maybe twenty, thirty meters away, and as I didn't have my glasses on, it was a bit blurry. It was so tall and stood so still that I took it for some kind of fake or overstuffed taxidermy. I wondered why someone would place an oversized boar in our forest and walk towards in order to see if there were some hidden cameras or stuff like that. When I was ten, twelve meters away, the boar gave noise, and I froze. For me it was surreal, because that animal was definitely too big to be a wild boar in a small forest near a bigger town of central Europe. I have seen big ones up to a shoulder high of nearly one meter, but that thing was in another league standing 1.6 meters tall. Because it had a little bit high ground, we were at eye level. I assumed a very elaborate prank, and watched closely for hidden speakers but was too afraid to move on. I finally found my glasses, and put them one giving the prank-bore an unsettling depth of detail. Then the boar moved in a way no servo or hidden wires could have done, and I came to the slow realization that the giant a few meters away was indeed a hogzilla with tusks like daggers. There was only one time that my heart did the same reaction, and that was when I accidentally shocked myself with 230 V.A.C. I just stopped for a moment. With the adrenaline finally kicking in, I got my heartbeat back and noped out in a firm and steady march, frenetically littering everything in my backpack on the ground. I hoped that something would seem more interesting or eatable than me. I was too afraid to look back and walked on until I got to the next road where I stopped the next car. I got into the front passenger seat and told the friendly woman that had stopped for me to please, please drive on. She was so kind to bring me to my parked car, and the little parking space was full of cars and men. Turned out a prized Carpathian boar named Edgar was on the loose, and this was the rescue party because the regional ranger had told the owner that he will shoot him if he ever saw Edgar in his forest again. I told him where I had encountered Edgar, and they got him with a tranquilizer gun while he was eating my lunch. Learned that day how big Carpathian boars can become. And that Edgar was a nice guy most of the time, and a little bit of a giant Houdini, too. But, dear God, did that boar freak me out. And I cursed a bit that we sold the guns I inherited when we moved to the city. This happened nearly two years ago. I live Oklahoma, and I'm sure most of you have heard of the Bever family murders that took place in Broken Arrow. Oklahoma, a few years ago. I would link a news article about it, but I'm too scared to even do that. Fall of 2016 was my first semester of college. I was an hour and a half away at college and decided to come home for the weekend to see my ex and one of my friends. We loved going into abandoned places, and somehow the Beaver House was brought up. It was definitely still talked about because it was so horrible. My friend knew where the house was, so we decided to drive by it. At this point we had no intention of going in it. This was my second time ever seeing the house. We arrived and I parked my car at the end of the street. I had my camera with me and I recorded the entire thing. First we went up to the house to just look in the windows. What really freaked me out was that the blinds were drawn and you could see into every room. There was a ceiling fan on in the kitchen, and a light on in one of the back bedrooms on the first floor. It got worse. We then noticed the floors were ripped up, the cabinets in the kitchen ripped out, and there were a ton of cutouts in the walls. Why, all of the blood! My ex decided to wiggle a doorknob on a door that lead into the garage, and for some reason it was unlocked. All of the other doors to the house were locked, and had those lockboxes on them like the house was for sale or something. So it was super weird that the door was just unlocked. When he opened it, he walked into the garage and went straight to the door to the house that lead into the kitchen. It was also unlocked. Like I said, I recorded the entire thing. I don't have it saved on my computer, but I did upload it to a YouTube channel and it's unlisted so that way I can send the link to people who are curious. If anyone would like that, just let me know. Once we got into the house, I felt very odd. It was so dark and heavy in there, for obvious reasons. We made our way through the kitchen and living room, and eventually up the stairs. Along the way, getting even more creeped out because of all of the little cutouts in the walls from the blood. Once we got upstairs, we noticed a door that was locked, but the light was on in the room. We were not able to open it. We eventually left, and then, like the smart people we are, got two more friends with us and went back for a second time. The two people who came with us the second time were too scared to go in, so they waited in the driveway. That means that they were not able to see the door we entered or the kitchen at all because of the way the garage is placed. It protrudes from the house. The second time we went in, we just stayed in the kitchen, and my ex was talking out loud to the spirits. We heard footsteps upstairs. I caught a high-pitched scream in the video. And like I said, I'll link it if anyone wants. As soon as we walked out, the two friends in the driveway asked how it was and asked my friend that went in with me why she didn't respond to their text. She pulls out her phone and they had texted and asked if we were upstairs. Why? Because they saw someone standing in an upstairs window. Keep in mind, we only stayed in the kitchen. We sprinted to my car. The next day I felt so weird. Long story short, I went to this spiritual bookstore and talked to the owner and he saged us. It was absolutely horrifying. One of my friends did not get saged, and she called us later that night and told us she was driving to the Beaver House and didn't know why. Something was definitely attached to us. It was a chilly day in May when my two friends and I decided to embark on a camping trip at Skookum Lake, located in the Cascades about 20 air miles southeast of Estacada, Oregon. We were looking forward to catching crawfish and enjoying the solitude of the remote location. The snow had made the roads almost impassable, but our four-wheel drive managed to get us through to our campsite. After setting up camp, we spent the day fishing and exploring the area. As night fell, we huddled around the campfire, swapping stories and... Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty
0: Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.
1: Joining each other's company. The peaceful silence of the wilderness was a welcome break from our daily lives. However, in the early hours of Monday, May 22, 1995, that peace was shattered, I began to hear the unmistakable sound of branches breaking in the distance. My curiosity peaked. I grabbed my powerful flashlight and shined it toward the source of the noise. About 150 feet away I saw something I never expected to encounter—a Bigfoot. The creature was about seven feet tall, with glowing yellow eyes in the light. Its fur was black but its head and shoulders were a much lighter color. The creature appeared to be side, stepping down a slope, and as I watched in awe, it froze in place. For forty-five minutes the Bigfoot stood there, not moving, even when I called my buddies over to witness the sight. They were just as astonished as I was, and we could hardly believe what we were seeing. Two days later I returned to the area with plaster, hoping to find any evidence of the creature's presence. I discovered a partial track knot in the snow, measuring 21 inches in length. The large toe was clearly visible, and I carefully made a cast of the print. While searching the area, I also found two hand-sized droppings wrapped in a silky membrane. It appeared to be some sort of mold, and I collected the samples for further examination. Upon returning to our campsite, I noticed a large finger or toe print on my dark green 1977 Ford, right next to a small dent. I decided to lift the print using tape and flour, but not before asking a friend to take a close-up photograph of the evidence. With the track, droppings, and the print on my truck, I planned to bring everything to the local bookshop for examination. I hoped that these findings would help shed light on the elusive creature that had captivated our imaginations and left us with an unforgettable experience. I had a tenant living in basement, but he got into a car accident about three minutes walking from the house and passed away at the scene. At first I didn't know about this, but one night, I think it was no more than three days after the accident. The lights in our house were all flickered for exactly three times in a minute. But that's not all. I went to the bathroom later after my mom. The door wasn't locked. But as I was pushing the door, I felt a strong force behind the door pushing against me. At first I thought I hallucinated. But I tried for the second time, and the door just didn't move. I pushed it really hard, but it still didn't move. I think I even heard a chuckle. Then I started talking with my mind, saying whoever you are, we didn't do anything wrong. Why are you messing with me? This is not funny. Then that force went away. After that I went on the internet, typed in his name, then found out the accident. That was the only time the door jammed. I had heard stories and rumors about strange creatures lurking in the vast wilderness of Yellowstone National Park. But as a seasoned park ranger, I had never encountered anything beyond the ordinary. That all changed one fateful day when I embarked on a routine patrol that would forever alter my perception of the park's mysteries. As I roamed the rugged terrain, my keen eyes scanning the surroundings, I noticed an unusual movement in the distance. There among the trees stood a towering figure about eight or nine feet tall. It was a shadowy silhouette. An enigma against the backdrop of the dense forest. My heart quickened with curiosity and fear, for I had never seen anything quite like it before. The creature's two long, skinny legs seemed to support its massive frame effortlessly. Its arms were elongated, nearly reaching the ground, and just as slender as the rest of its body. Its appearance was both surreal and unsettling, like something out of a terrifying nightmare. The most unnerving aspect was its face, or rather, the complete lack thereof. There was no discernible facial features, just a long, skinny neck leading up to a head that appeared to be featureless. The absence of any eyes, nose, or mouth sent a shiver down my spine. I instinctively reached for my camera, hoping to capture this extraordinary sighting. As I aimed, the creature seemed to sense my presence, turning its formless head in my direction. Fear gripped me, but I was determined to document this inexplicable encounter. In an instant the creature reacted, as if aware of my intentions. Without warning it sprinted into the woods with incredible speed, disappearing among the trees. My heart pounded as I tried to follow, but it was futile. The creature was gone, leaving me with only my own stunned disbelief. I couldn't shake the feeling that I had just witnessed something beyond explanation. Was this a creature of folklore, an urban legend come to life? My mind raced through possibilities, but there was no denying the image burned into my memory. As days turned into weeks, I became consumed by the sighting. I pored over books and articles, searching for any mention of similar encounters. The more I read, the more convinced. I became that I had come face to face with Bigfoot, the legendary creature said to roam the wilderness. The skepticism of my fellow rangers and the public weighed heavily on me, but I couldn't dismiss what I had seen with my own eyes. My determination to find proof of Bigfoot's existence grew, and I launched my own private investigation. Armed with cameras, audio recorders, and an unwavering belief in the unknown. I delved deeper into the secluded corners of the park. I tracked footprints, collected hair samples, and set up motion, activated cameras, hoping to capture undeniable evidence. Days turned into weeks, and still the mysterious creature eluded me. The more I searched, the more elusive it seemed. Doubt crept into my mind. Was I chasing a mere illusion born from a moment of excitement? Just as I was on the brink of giving up, fate intervened. On a crisp morning I discovered fresh tracks in the muddy ground. My heart leaped with excitement as I followed the trail. It led me deeper into the wilderness, far from the well-trodden paths. As I ventured further I heard an eerie rustling in the bushes ahead. My breath caught in my throat as I prepared to face whatever was lurking behind the foliage. But instead of the shadowy figure I had encountered before, I found myself face to face with a majestic elk, its imposing antlers casting eerie shadows on the forest floor. I grew up in a pretty boring town that does not have much stuff you can do as a teenager besides skating, drinking, and trying to get laid. So, to accomplish the last part, I invited my someone and another couple to a place I only know from when I was riding the train, to clarify. It was as a small man, made rural forest sea, about two big swimming pools, big, with natural water in it. It lies near train tracks, but the train rode only once a day, and there weren't any roads, so you can't easily drive up there. So my plan was to create a romantic atmosphere with my significant other, and so I brought wine, a small cassette player. Yep, I'm old, some food and a small tent. The extra couple were friends of us, so I thought that might help. Part 1. As I've never been there before, and like I said, there weren't any roads we had to walk about eight miles along the rail tracks to get there. About halfway, we noticed that there was not a single house farm industry-related compound at all, and we did not see cars or other people. That was one thing I've never noticed before when I was riding the train, because why would you? We did not think about any dangers or about cell phone reception, since cell phones were a thing only adults had back then. The sky was clear and bright that night when we arrived, and we already had some wine in us, so we did not bother to set up our tents left all our stuff, food, drinks, tents, clothes, behind a tree, and went right in the water. We must have been in there for about an hour before we started getting cold, so we all got out simultaneously and went straight for our stuff. But it all was gone. At first we thought we must have made a mistake and put the stuff elsewhere and started looking around, but after half an hour we gave up and were scared as hell. I totally sobered up in minutes and we started getting really cold because although it was summer we were wet and summers in my country aren't that hot, especially not at night. I decided that we find us a spot where we could overlook all of the area and sit around back. to back in a circle and stay there until the sun rises. So we did. It was really cold. We were all half naked and it was quiet and windy and every time something moved. Like trees from the wind, or a noise was made, we all got a huge scare out of it. We did not talk for hours, and when the sun was high enough so there were no invisible corners or bushes left, we quickly went back. Barefoot, half-naked, dehydrated, tired, and still scared. It took us way longer back than last night because every half-mile we had to stop because of exhaustion, or because something felt not right. My house was the closest, so we went straight there, drink, ate, showered, and that was it for a while. Part 2 Two months later to the day, I remember because it was my birthday, I had some friends over for some hanging around and getting drunk. The couple was with us, my significant other not, because she moved away shortly after that. I was fall now, so the days were getting shorter and when it started to become dark, we lit up a small fire in my parents' backyard and just sat there talking and drinking. Suddenly I hear our dog bark, which was odd because she was always a very quiet fellow, so I went to check it out and catched a glimpse of a person at our front door running away. It was too dark, and he, she was too quick, so I could not make out a face or gender. I stood there for a few moments, and they opened the door, but nobody was there. When I looked down, I saw a really big bag, so myself, concentrated younger me, thought, cool presents. I opened up the bag only to find the clothes and the sleeping bag from our adventure two months ago in there, and a freaking note that said, happy birthday, my name. I was scared to death and still am very anxious because I cannot be a prank because we told nobody we were going to do this trip. There is not a house or anything near that place, and we did not see a single soul for twenty-four hours. I have never told a couple or my significant other of this, because let's be real here. There is no use in scaring them again after what we went through. Over twenty years have passed since then, and nothing has ever happened there or to me or my friends.' When I was 19, a group of friends and I drove to Vancouver Island for a camping trip with one of our friends' family. The campsite that we went to was on a beautiful crystal clear lake and was on the edge of a forest. And about 50 feet away was a nice little sandy cove. My buddies and I set up some logs so we could sit and talk while we blazed a little bit at about 15 feet away from the tree line. It was late one night and my four friends and I were sitting around smoking just bullshitting, and we heard a twig snap like in the movies. We all kind of froze, so I grabbed my flashlight from my backpack and shone it on the trees. At first I didn't see anything, but I took two steps to my right, and I saw these two glowing yellow eyes just staring back at me. I told my friends what I was seeing, and we all just kind of froze. I was freaked out, so I bent down and picked up a big rock. Just in case, after a couple seconds we got out of there as fast as we could and back to the campsite. That night I slept with my axe real close. The next morning we went out to our spot and saw bear prints in the sand all over where we had been chilling. Seeing those eyes still has to be the creepiest things I've ever seen. My dad used to work at a military fortress. He wasn't serving or anything, but his company, such that it was was based there, and as such, they had custodial duties to the base. One occasion I remember him going on about was around New Year one year, and he was working quite late, so it was dark when he left. To be honest, I think it was only around 7 p.m., but the sun sets at like 3.30 p.m. in that part of the world in winter. On the drive home, he realized he'd forgotten his phone, so he turned around to go and get it. He parked up and walked through the glaces, over the drawbridge, and through the arch which brought him into the main square from where his office was visible on the top floor of the block on the right. He noticed then that the light was still on in one of the end rooms of the office. I recall it was some kind of storeroom. It was odd, he thought, because he'd been the last one out and had locked up, so his first thought was that he'd locked someone in. When he got up there, though, the lights were all off and nobody was about. He received his phone in quick order and left in a little more than a hurry. There were other happenings, too, which did not involve my dad. On one occasion his boss came in one morning to complaints from the night cleaner accusing him of peeking at him from behind doors and hiding, giggling and flicking lights on and off, which was obviously a surprise, because he'd been at home all night. The army occupied other floors in the block, and other blocks on the camp and often complained about loud parties from the office which never happened, plus soldiers regularly.